Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guests. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to study a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. It is good to be together tonight. It is a blessing, and I will say this. Uh, tonight's topic is one that uh, usually we don't hear talked about much when it comes to a gospel meeting. But then again, the Learn to Discern series is not your typical series for a gospel meeting. And so tonight I've been... Uh, given the task, and one that, that I'm not going to run away from, one that doesn't have to be where we blush, one that doesn't have to be where it's talked about in ways that grandmas and grandpas and moms and dads wonder if they need to cover their children's ears. Don't worry about that tonight. But what I do want you to know is this. I want to speak very open and very frankly about this, but it will also be with an understanding of a, an audience of various genders and also various ages. So I just want to let you rest a little bit on that tonight. Let's go to our Father in prayer, though, before we begin. Dearly Father, as we come before you tonight, we're grateful that we have the opportunity to be here again with your people. Thank you so much for the day that you've blessed us with. And Lord, it is our prayer that, that whatever we encounter today, whatever worries, maybe whatever job was left undone, that for the next few moments, Lord, we'll be able to push that aside recognizing that we can't do anything about that now, right here. And so, Lord, help us to devote fully our attention to you, not just in some ways, but in all ways. Heavenly Father, I do pray for the families in this good congregation. We know that Satan is he is not resting, and he is more than willing to attack and, and to twist and distort your word and the goodness of your creation in any way that he can to, to cause mankind to veer from you. Heavenly Father, I ask that you give these good brethren a sense of a firmness in the, in the idea that they hold fast to you and, and that they want to be your people and live life your way. And Lord, I pray that if anyone is uh, ensnared in this sin tonight, I pray that they would not merely brush it off and that they would realize the severity of their circumstance. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to proclaim your word and I pray that I stay out of your way tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, when you and I think about the subject of pornography, I don't know what comes to your mind. I told you already it's not normally a topic that you hear uh, addressed in a sermon. Uh, now, maybe it's a topic that you hear the preacher kind of address as a point or maybe an illustration that we kind of roll over. Uh, but I don't know when the last time was that you heard an entire sermon on the subject of pornography. You see, when we think about pornography, unfortunately in the Lord's church, this is kind of one of those topics that we don't talk about. And we don't talk about it much because in, in some settings it's become the kind of the silent sin. In other words, men and women who would show up and sit in church pews and, and on the outside appear to have very spiritually minded families and maybe perhaps they're deacons or Bible class teachers, uh, but they have some what we call skeletons. And those are things that they would never want anybody to find out. Those, those things that occur late at night, those things that occur maybe at work or on a break out in the truck. You see, that's where pornography fits into this picture. Pornography has been called a band-aid issue. I, I actually, in, in my studies and my counseling with others, I look at it as a band-aid issue as well. And when I say a band-aid issue, I don't want you to hear me minimizing the subject of pornography. But my experience has shown me that oftentimes individuals will turn to pornography as a coping mechanism for something else that is going on in their life. 
Perhaps it is that the, the husband and the wife are continually arguing and maybe they have uh, utilized this aspect of their relationship, the sexual aspect, and that's uh, that's been withheld or maybe it's been a stress in their married life. And so uh, when that subject gets brought up in the mind of the husband or of the wife, perhaps that's when an individual will turn to, to this uh, avenue, this coping mechanism. Sometimes it's not because there's a, a problem between spouses. I, I've counseled individuals that in the counseling session was when the wife found out that her husband was struggling with a pornographic addiction. In other words, she had no idea, but she's living in the same home with this man. And for her, she just couldn't understand. I mean, after all, what's wrong with me is the way that oftentimes the innocent party of that, that, that marriage would look at it. Why does he look at me that way? Why doesn't, why doesn't he want to come to me? And in all of that, you try to make them understand this isn't, this isn't a fault with you. You see, this particular individual I'm thinking of, he began looking at pornography before the age of 10. And the issues that he was coping with were far outside of his wife. They went back to his childhood. That's why I tell you tonight that pornography has been called a band-aid issue. Because it's a, it's an unhealthy coping concept is what it is. Now some individuals can become addicted to unhealthy coping concepts. But the reality is this, when you and I think about pornography, tonight I need you to hear me say that for for us just to stand before you, if you're the one who's struggling with that, and for us just to say, stop it, quit doing it, obviously that would be the easy thing to say. And here gathered at a gospel meeting, I take for granted that I don't have to, to show you or to prove to you that pornography is against the will of God. And there are some who would love to argue that and they would love to say, well, as long as it's a husband and a wife in a consenting relationship and no, no, you understand that person's not your spouse. That person's not your spouse. It doesn't matter if it's consenting. They're not your spouse. And it's always looked at as immorality. So I take for granted that tonight I don't have to convince you that it's immoral. However, I do want you to understand that what we're talking about is very detrimental in many levels. And for me just to say, stop it, that's not the approach that we need to take. You know, when you think about the issue that goes on with pornography, I I know that you probably have have read things and you've seen things, but I don't know if you grasp the, the, the breadth and the depth of this dilemma that we're in in America Not just in America, but quite honestly, across the world. I want to read some things to you. And and I admit up front, the purpose of reading these things to you is to overwhelm you. That's the, the entire reason why I want you to hear what I'm about to read. Statistics regarding this particular subject. But I don't want you to get lost in the statistics. I want you to see the real people that are involved with this. Pornography is a global uh, industry. It's estimated that it brings in $97 billion a year, with about $12 billion of that coming from the United States. In 2018 alone, more than 5 trillion hours of porn were consumed on the world's largest porn sites. Folks, that's, that's a lot. The world's largest free porn site also received over 33 trillion site visits during 2018 alone. 43% of internet users, of all internet users, 4 out of 10 view pornography. I would love to tell you that it's just the, the young guys who are having problems with this. Barna Research Group, which is uh, in the world of evangelicalism, it's uh, the broad definition of Christianity. They do studies that relate to uh, subjects sometimes pertaining to matters of, of Christianity and the way that the world defines Christianity, sometimes in matters of social concepts. Their studies would reveal that men who have admitted to viewing pornography at least once a month, those who were 18 to 30 year olds, you need to hear this, almost 8 out of 10, almost 8 out of 10 of those who are 18 to 30 who would admit to viewing it at least once a month, those 31 to 49, 67%, almost 7 out of 10 men 
have said in that age category that they view pornography at least once a month. I would love to tell you that older men don't struggle with this issue. But those who are 50 to 68, almost one out of every two say that they watch pornography at least once a month. I would love to tell you it's just a teenage issue. But studies are not revealing that. It's even looking at individuals as old as 68 and saying that this is still an issue. Men who say they view pornography at least several times a week. Those who are 18 to 30, 63%. Those who are 31 to 49, 38%. And those who are 50 to 68, get this, who view it several times a week. According to the Barna research, one out of every four men who are 51 or 50 to 68 years of age. One out of every four. Men, we know that this is an issue that, that has been said is a man issue. And therefore, for me to stand before you and read those statistics, some of you are saying, well, we know men are more visually stimulated. We know men are more drawn to that. And I will tell you this, though. You've got to remember, this is an industry. This is a business. And I want you to put yourself in a position of a business owner, right? If you already have a stronghold on clientele, you're, you're going to continue to sell to that particular clientele. But if you want to grow your business, either you're going to have to convince the same clientele to buy more, or you're going to have to add more clientele. That's just the way a business concept would work. And this industry is looked at as a business. That's why in the pornographic business, there are more women who are going into ownership capacities in this business than at any time past. And as a matter of fact, their target audience is not men. You know why women owners are going into the pornographic industry as the people who own the companies? Because their statement is this, we know what women want to see. Fastest growing group of pornographic users in America are women. Studies will say this, women who say they view pornography at least once a month. 18 to 30 year olds, almost 8 out of every 10. 76%. Those who are 31 to 49, it drops drastically down to 16%. And those 50 to 68 is 4%. Women who say they view porn at least several times a week, 18 to 30 year olds, 21%. 31 to 49 year olds, 5%. 50 to 68 year olds, zero. Now obviously there's a difference between men and women. And we know that. We're not going to go into detail on the difference of, uh, of those aspects, but it is of interest to note that, that while this industry believes they have a hold, a firm hold on men, and I would love to tell you that within the Lord's church, the statistics that I've seen are different. They're not quite as high, but let's, I've got to be real with you, right? This whole week's about being real. In the Lord's church, we have issues with this subject as well. I've spoken before at Bible camps and when the invitation was offered on this particular issue, I've spoken on this issue and, and there were young men who would come down the aisle and it's gotten to the point now where if somebody were to come tell me they have a pornographic addiction, it doesn't, it doesn't shock me anymore. Uh, but I don't say that from a pessimistic standpoint. I just say that from a standpoint of this. Yet yeah, you're the one that admits it. For everyone that admits it, there's a whole lot of other ones that aren't even admitting it. This last week I was speaking in Kentucky at a Bible camp. A young man came forward. He had just moved away from his home working in Ohio. Loneliness can be a trigger. He admitted to me that he was addicted to pornography. I've been at camps, I told you, where multiple guys would come forward. One camp in North Carolina, I was speaking at, six young men came forward admitting to being addicted to pornography. That didn't surprise me either, but what did surprise me was this. As I was talking with some of them, after the lesson was over, after the prayer was over, that I overheard the guy standing up there talking about the websites that they go to. And I just thought to myself, even at a church camp, even at a church camp, you'll find young men sharing where they get their pornography. Church, we've got to be real with this subject. We cannot pretend that the rest of the world has problems while those inside of the church are exempt to the wiles and the schemes of Satan when it comes to this area of life. It's interesting when you think about people who are married. 
you would think married men don't look at this stuff, right? I mean, after all, why would married men look at this stuff? 55% of married men say they watch porn at least once a month. Over one out of every two. Now, I will say this. 70% of non-married men say they look at it once a month, according to that particular study. So it is different. But I need to also say this. It's not just a married thing or a non-married thing. 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once a month. One out of every four, according to that particular study. Whereas 70% of non-married women say they look at it at least once a month. You think about the searches on the internet. 25% of all searches are for pornography. Sex is the number one search topic on the internet. Of the 300 most popular websites, 11 of those are of the pornographic nature. And they fall higher than eBay and Netflix. Folks, let me tell you, this is an issue across the globe. 35% of all downloads are pornographic. The revenue for pornography is greater than all professional football, baseball, and basketball franchises combined. That's how much money they're making. 56% of all divorce cases involve one person with an obsession, an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. 69% of all the pay-per-view market is pornographic. 90% of 8 to 16-year-olds have viewed pornography. Let me read that one more time. 90% of 8 to 16 year olds have viewed pornography. Now I need to say this because in my speaking I I do speak to teens and I don't believe that when I speak to the Lord's church that I'm speaking to people that want to be like the rest of the world. But we've got to be real that in doing homework that's when most of these young people find pornography is when they're doing homework. And some of the pornography that they find is not in an explicit nature where you might be thinking it would be, but it's in the advertisements. And of a young man who's developing and hormones are kicking in, there's something there he sees on the screen. It's of interest. Maybe it looks a little different. Maybe it looks a little weird. Why am I feeling this way? And I'll click a button. And the whole concept behind www. You know what www means when it comes to the Internet? I know you do. Worldwide what? Web. That means this, this site is connected to this site, this site is connected to this site, and before too long, a child who clicked on an ad out of curiosity, they end up in a a web entangled in this garbage. Do you know, when you really think about the average time, the first time an individual is exposed to pornography, in today's society, it's at the age of eight. Now, I don't mind telling you this because I... I did not go looking for it. The first time I was exposed to pornography was in the high school football locker room. And then it was a known thing. I was the preacher's kid. Everybody knew that. I was very outspoken. I, I, I was the guy who didn't get invited to parties. I got left out of things. And, um, you know, I, I, I wondered at times why I was getting left out because... I was a pretty cool kid, you know. I was senior class president, captain of the football team, captain of the track team. Uh, I had the president of the National Honor Society. And I'm not even making those up. Those are my accolades, right? I have a whole lesson where I brag about what I used to be. And then I talk about how silly it is to see a grown man brag about what he used to be. Right? But those are true. But I would get left out of things. Finally, one guy on the football team came up to me and said, Hey, we were having a party. We didn't invite you, Joe, because we knew that you would not appreciate what was going to happen at the party. To which I took that as an honor. That means they know where I stand. Not that they don't like me, but they do like me. And that's why they didn't invite me. Well, the first time I saw pornography was in the high school football locker room. People thought it was a joke. Here's the preacher's kid, outspoken about what he believes. He's sitting facing his locker. Let's tap him on his shoulder. He's going to turn around to a centerfold. And that was the first time I was exposed to, por- to pornography. Do you realize today that kids don't have to go into a grocery store and they don't have to ask the clerk behind the counter to put a magazine in a brown bag so they can sneak it out anymore? Or as early as the age of eight is the average time of first-time exposure to this garbage. Eight years old. I don't know who comes to your mind at the age of eight. I don't have Bennett here with me. Camden's with me tonight. His birthday's tomorrow. He's ten years old. And he's probably the guy that says, Dad, don't point me out. Right? Out of everybody. Bennett, on the other hand, is our littlest one. Bennett is eight. The average time children are exposed to pornography, the first time... 
is 8. 64% of young people ages 13 to 24 actively seek out pornography weekly or more often. 64% say they go looking for it. Not just they stumble upon it, they go looking for it. No wonder when I start looking at this and I start thinking about the the depth of this issue and I start thinking about the consequences of this issue, I'm, I'm mindful that we're up against a giant. We're up against a giant is what it is. Because the industry is, is interested in about bringing you on and getting the dollars. They're not interested in about the well-being of your family. And they're not interested about the well-being of you individually. And, and in our society today that's been shaped by generations before, which would talk about free love and would talk about freedom and what all that meant, we've had some interesting people shape the thinking of our culture in this particular area to get us to where we are today. I did find that this quote was of interest. It's from the United States Department of Justice. And it would have this to say, quote, Never before in the history of telecommunications media in the United States has so much indecent and obscene material been so easily accessible by so many minors in so many American homes with so few restrictions. Folks, that's the government saying that. That ought to tell us something. That ought to tell us something. I have this slide on the screen because I want you to understand the serious aspect of this subject. Because we're not just talking about the concept of somebody saw pictures that they shouldn't have seen. We're talking about the, the connection of the brain. Have you ever noticed how we do things that we know we should not do? You ever, you ever noticed that? And all of us do. You know why I know that? Because for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The truth of the matter is this. As children of God, we know we should not sin, but why do we still do it? You say, well, I don't do it as a way of life. Good, you shouldn't do it as a way of life. That's the idea. Don't walk in that pathway. But there will be a need in your life for the blood of Jesus to continually cleanse you of your sins. That means this. You may either stumble into sin or you may choose sin. It may be an attitude and it may be an action. But either way, the truth is, we do things that we know we should not do. The Apostle Paul would say it in the book of Romans chapter 7. He would say, the very things that I don't want to do are the things that I do. And what I want to do are the things that I don't do. And then he cried out, wretched man that I am, who will save me? Who will rescue me? And that's when he answered, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, the Apostle Paul even struggled. He struggled with doing things he didn't want to do and not doing the things that he wanted to do. So here's why I bring this up. Your, your brain was created beautifully by God. All of our brains. And He created us, if I can oversimplify this concept, with three brains. I know that may sound weird. You only have one brain, three components, is what I'd like to introduce to you tonight. The first one is, on the very front of your brain, it's called the thinking brain. The front part of your brain is what processes facts. It's what processes morals. It's what processes values. It's the concept that says this is right, this is wrong. How do you know this is right and this is wrong? It's what's been ingrained in the front part of your brain, the thinking brain. Now the middle brain that you have is called your feeling brain. That's where you process emotions. That's where you process experiences. That's where you process uh, potential dangers. If you've ever heard about the flight or, or fight syndrome... The idea behind the flight or fight syndrome is the concept of you don't have to think about it. When somebody jumps out in front of you and says, boo, you either run, cower, or hit. And you didn't think about it, right? The idea is that was the way that your body processes emotion. It processes experience. So the front part of your brain is called the thinking brain. The middle part of your brain is called the emotional brain or the feeling brain. And the back part of your brain is called the body brain. That's where your brain stem is. That's where electrical impulses or nerve impulses rather will travel up and down your spinal column. That's where the communication from the other aspects of your brain traveled to the rest of your body so your body knows to function and, and knows to work the way that it does. Now here's something of interest. There are more connections in your brain between the feeling brain and the body brain than between the thinking brain and the body brain. There literally are more neuron connections between the middle brain and the back brain and the body brain. Now, that would make sense to some of us based upon the location. 
But again, I ask you, why is it that some people do the things that they know they should not do? For instance, David, King David's up on the roof when all the other kings went off to battle and he sees Bathsheba bathing and he says, there's another man's wife. At least he said this, she's not my wife. And she wa- he wanted to inquire about her. He saw her nakedness. He wanted to inquire about who she was. If maybe his thinking was, is she available? Is she not available? All I know is I want to find out more about her. Came to find out, that's Uriah's wife. David knew at that point in time that she was somebody else's wife. So why did David sin against God and against Uriah and against Bathsheba? You ever thought about that? Why did he do what he knew not to do? It's the same reason why a deacon in the Lord's church can go at night and look at pornography on the computer. It's the same reason why a Bible class teacher can do that. It's the same reason why a preacher can do that. Because at some point in time, just simply knowing from the front of the brain, the facts and the values, something happens between the feelings and the body that doesn't make sense to most of us. Now, I would offer this to you. What happens is, much like what happens to trees like this, have you ever seen a tree that looked that way out in the woods? To my understanding, at times, these are called Indian trees. Whether that be the case or not, I don't know. But the idea was that the saplings, back in the days when they would maybe carve out paths, they were getting to know their land, that these were structural markers for Native Americans. And what happens is, over time, as they would shape that sapling, the tree, as it would continue to grow, would grow in the direction that it had been shaped to grow in. And when you think about this whole concept from the development of the brain, and I overwhelm you, at least I try to overwhelm you with statistics about young children who are seeking this out and being exposed to it and what's going on, all of this goes back to the way that a person develops and it goes back to why is it that people who know not to do certain things, they will do them. You see, that's because the emotional side of your brain is what receives the impulse first. That's where you get this gut feeling. Has anybody ever said that before? I just have a gut feeling about this. I can't really put any facts to it. I just have a gut feeling. That's because the information is being processed in the emotional, the feeling side of your brain. You ever gone through a... Some people go to these haunted houses and as they walk around the corner, they know they're in a make-believe house. They know they're in a make-believe environment. But when they walk around the corner and somebody goes, they'll do this. It's not because logically they said that make believe dude is going to hurt me. It's because their initial reaction was in their feeling brain and it immediately went to the body brain. So why is it that somebody who knows what not to do, why do they do it? It's because the feeling brain overrides the moral brain, the thinking brain and that makes a connection with the body brain and starts having a response in the body. Folks, this stuff that we're talking about is real because here's why. Just like that sapling tree can be shaped, so can the way that your brain and the way that your children's brain and the way that your grandchildren's brain will process inappropriate sexual images. If they go after it over and over again, you know what happens? The brain can become shaped to where it actually can cause problems. Now, I want you to to notice, though, that problems that occur in the impact is is very destructive, but it doesn't mean it's hopeless. And I'll, I'll tell you about that at the end. But I do need you to understand that this is not innocence. The things that we're talking about today, it's not like, oh, it was just a picture. It's, it's not just innocent. It does shape and it does mold. Studies that have been released and studies that have done by a company I'm going to talk to you a little bit about there at the end called Covenant Eyes. Uh, they, they are an industry that is trying to help families, trying to help men, trying to help women guard against this stuff. 
And in their studies and the studies that they will cite, what they will tell you is this. The destructive nature is not only in the shaping of the brain, which goes back to the concept of dopamine and testosterone and oxytocin, all these other chemical reactions that are going on in the brain during this activity. Uh, But the idea is this. It does shape and it does mold future relationships and future future enjoyment in those relationships. Covenant Eyes would bring forth this concept that those who engage in pornography, they actually have a decrease of satisfaction in this area of their life when it comes to uh, normal functions of this subject of sexuality. That they actually have a decreased satisfaction And part of that is, and they will bring this out, is because the images that are ingrained in the individual's mind are different than the real-life partner that they have, their real spouse. And so whereas the the person on the computer has been uh, changed either surgically or in, in photo editing, what happens is the individual that continues to look at that, there's this expectation that that is what is pleasing. And the concept behind their study is the real thing is not as appealing anymore. Now, that's not what I made up. That's what their studies say. Therefore, they struggle with their partner's appearance. They struggle with their partner's affection. And even they struggle with the performance. It also goes on to say this, that studies show that porn consumers eventually compare their spouse with images of the models they see on the screen. Therefore, leading to a decrease of satisfaction. Unfortunately, at times, and this has happened in many areas, those who who, who do studies on... Pushing the envelope. I'm trying to choose my words carefully. Please understand. You know what pushing the envelope means in most cases. So what I want you to do is I want you to help me to not have to say it explicitly. What does it mean to push the envelope in this area? That means it gets more graphic. It changes up things. Well, what's interesting is that their studies have shown that the brain that can be shaped by the continual pushing of the envelope, not only does it make the real thing less appealing, it means that in order to achieve that high that is that happens in the brain with the chemicals, they have to continue to push further and further that envelope. And so eventually what happens is this, even just the thought of a normal, healthy relationship like this with a spouse is not appealing because it's not fantasy that the fantasy actually becomes more appealing than the real thing. Unfortunately, the familiarity of the spouse, the familiarity actually can work against the spouse. He knows what I look like. She knows what I look like. Over and multiple times throughout the marriage, obviously. But you know, that, that, that person on the screen, that's new. That's adventurous. And so what happens is actually the individual who thinks they're feeding this and oftentimes couples who believe that introducing this into their marriage that it's a, a good thing, you've got to understand you're working against yourselves if that's going on. Not only is it sin because that's not your spouse, you're working against this. Covenant eyes will also say this, that those who have a, a, a habit of viewing pornography that it actually disconnects us from real relationships. You think about that from a standpoint of what is entailed in a relationship. You know, Aaron and I, we have not been married as long as some of you all have, but I figured out a few things. I figured this out, that that when she's in the kitchen and she's doing dishes, and of course we let our kids do dishes, don't get me wrong, I'm using this as an illustration of times past, maybe at times of times present, maybe she's working on something. It is not to my benefit to go plop down in my chair and say, honey, hurry up. That is not to my benefit. To my benefit would be for me to go in where she is working and say, Honey, can I help you with that? It's interesting about psychologists and what they write about. There's a psychologist out there named Kevin Lehman. And he would talk about this aspect of a marriage, the, the sexual relationship of a marriage. And his take, his take is this, that it actually begins, and his, his book was this, it begins in the kitchen. But what he meant was this, it means you do the dishes. It means you take out the garbage. It means you help. When she's working, you work. When he's working, don't just go plop down and get on the phone and talk. 
See if you can help, because that's a real relationship. Real relationships involve communications. Real relationships involve working through arguments, working through disagreements. Real relationships involve bills. Real relationships involve the stress of the children. Real relationships involve who's going to make the bed. Can't believe he didn't make the bed this time. Can't believe she didn't make the bed that time. Get home from work. Dinner's not ready. I get home from work. He didn't even, he didn't even call and see if I wanted takeout. You know, all of that is real relationships. And if we think for one minute that that doesn't play into the area of the the sexual area of our marriages, then we're not in tune with reality. But here's why this disconnects us from real relationships. Because I don't have to have all the other stuff. I don't have to be worried whether or not I upset her by telling her her food didn't taste like my mama's cooking. I don't have to worry about it because guess what? The person on the screen is not interested in every other aspect of the relationship. As a matter of fact, I can go to that screen and not have to worry whether or not I ever did the dishes. And the lady on the screen always thinks that I'm enough. She always is attracted to me, is what the person who views it believes. And so what it has done is it disconnects from real relationships... Now, I will say this, we aren't the only culture that has struggled with this concept. I want to read something to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 through 17. And I want you to know something, that Corinth was a society that was steeped in this aspect as well. In the Bible, there's a, a word that is, is, is the Greek word porneia. The New American Standard, your English translations, will talk about it as immorality. And it's a broad word that flows for, for many sexual immoral concepts. But in Corinth, they had a unique culture. I say unique because I don't see that every culture in the ancient Near East was this way. It has been said before that when you would get off of a boat, that in the steps that may have been marked, you could find footprints in the stones that would lead to a brothel. The word Corinthicize... That idea is this concept of live a life of debauchery. They had the temple of Aphrodite where individuals could go and they could engage in casual relationships with temple priestess, which basically were prostitutes. And it was all in the name of worship to their God. Paul would write to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18 and following, and he would say this, Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. It's interesting that in that culture, he had to talk to them about this idea of of porneia, he had to tell them, look, don't get involved in that. Don't, don't allow your life to be shaped by your culture. Because the truth is that you're sinning against yourself. And let me remind you whose you are. You are a child of God, sealed with the Holy Spirit upon being baptized for the remission of your sin. You're not your own anymore. Your body's not your own anymore. He says, so don't let culture dictate what you get wrapped up in. You see, their society struggled with with this. It just wasn't in the sense of a computer. It wasn't in the sense of a phone, which, by the way, just so you know, that's the number one place that pornography is viewed on a cell phone. If you think that it's just about making sure my computer's in a, a, a common area, you're wrong. I had one individual in a counseling session and come up to me and admit that he was an addict of pornography. His wife did not know. She was blown away, even from the standpoint of where. How does this occur? And he admitted when he goes into the bathroom, he'll take his phone with him. And that's when it happens. In the course of that time, and we'll talk a little bit about this, I'm a big believer and you've got to set boundaries. And so the deal was this, he could no longer take the phone with him to the restroom. When he would go in there, the phone would stay public. When he would go to bed, the phone would stay public. And there are some men, I love this, and usually it's men, not women. I've had more men admit to this, although I will say this. In Colorado Springs, one one uh, summer I was speaking to a group of teenagers, and the next summer they invited me back, and a teenage girl came up to me about the age of 17 
And she said, I have to tell you, I want to say thank you to you. I said, thank you for what? She said, last year you told us if we had an addiction to pornography that we needed to trust our parents enough to tell them so that they could help us. She said, I went to my parents and my parents have helped me overcome this. So it's not like girls don't come up and say that. Ladies don't. It's just typically more men. Some men get a little upset when you start laying down boundaries. I have no problem being very real in the counseling sessions of which I'm in. I am not the let me coddle you guy. Some counselors are let me call to you. I'm the guy who says this. I'm going to call your bluff. And if you want to fight about it, then you're not ready to be sitting in this room. So people get upset. You can't carry your phone. I'm the man of my house. I can do what I want. And I tell them real quick, you forfeited that right when you got yourself wrapped up into this. If he wants to still argue with me, I tell him he's not ready to sit in my office. Because the truth is, if you're going to argue, then you're not broken. If you want to argue about it, you don't care if you're hurting your wife. You don't argue about it. You don't care if you're not leading your family. And I don't have time because you can't help somebody who doesn't want to be helped. I feel bad for those ladies. I really do. Truth is, there's issues in that marriage, though, that go beyond just whether he takes the phone to the restroom or not. And maybe they're deeper than that. Sometimes those men will will, will come back and say, you know what, I was not nice. I need this help. Because usually it takes guys like that it really takes them losing everything before they reach out for help. Their wife says, I'm gone. Their children, maybe the wife says, we're going to sit down and talk with your children about what you're doing. And he doesn't want to spill the beans. I'm going to go talk to the elders. He doesn't want to talk to the elders. He wants it to be his way and he wants to hide it. And the truth is this. He can hide it all if he wants, but he will end up losing everything. Why? Because of the destructive nature that this leaves behind. I want you to know tonight, though, that when you think about why this happens, you've got to understand that it happens because we have choice. It happens because we choose to walk down a path. You know, I'm continually reminded about the idea of how temptation occurs and what Satan is able to do. You see, when I was in high school, it was not my choice. When I turned around because somebody tapped me on the shoulder, I really didn't know what they needed. But at the point in time that they showed me that centerfold, what I did from that moment on with what I saw was my choice. Eight-year-olds who are exposed to this, it's sometimes not their choice that they're exposed. Sometimes it happens accidentally. Sometimes a husband, it can happen accidentally. Sometimes it can be in an ad. I I will tell you, sometimes the ads and the games, they blow me away. Uh, you, you think that just because your kid's playing a game that they downloaded through the app store, that means that they're not going to see anything they shouldn't see? That's not true. Some of these apps, some of these ads are, are, are pretty graphic in what they talk about. That's why I say you don't get to take a break. But I will say this, ultimately at the end of the day, I am responsible. The Bible says in James chapter 1 verses 14 and 15, But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So how does death occur? You don't skip from temptation to death. You go from temptation to lust. In other words, it's fed. It's continually fed. And that's why it leads you down a road to a decision. All of us have to make decisions. Decisions like... Will I be God's man or will I not be God's man? Will I be God's woman or will I not be God's woman? Interesting thing to me about Daniel chapter 1, and I won't turn there for the sake of time, but Daniel chapter 1 is occasion where Daniel and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those were their Babylonian names, they were taken captive, and there was the king's choice meat, king's choice food, king's choice wine. All of this was about them becoming a part of the Babylonian culture. And in that account in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel would refuse to eat the king's choice food. And the Bible would tell us why. It's that he had set his mind to not be defiled. You see, Daniel's decision was made before he was ever put into that predicament. He had decided that he wasn't going to be defiled by whatever was going to come his way. And I will tell you this, on this particular subject... That is a necessity. Because once you see something, you have to decide what you're going to do with it. 
But based upon the way that your brain is made, it makes it very difficult if you haven't already decided what you're going to do. I want you to look at that elephant right quick. Okay, we're in Alabama country. I understand there's only maybe five Auburn fans here. So I feel this is a good good illustration, right? I want you to look at that elephant right quick. I want you to see its, t- uh, its trunk. I want you to see its ears. I want you to notice that it's running. And I want you to notice its tail. Obviously, this is a very, very happy elephant, right? Very happy elephant. Now, I want you to do me a favor. I want everybody to close their eyes. Close your eyes. I do not want you to think about the elephant. Don't think about the elephant at all. I don't want you to think about the elephant. I don't want you to think about that trunk. I don't want you to think about those ears. I don't want you to think about the elephant. Now I want you to open your eyes. How many of you could see the elephant in your head? And it didn't help the fact I was talking about it, did it? Isn't it interesting that in a society that has no problem talking very openly about sexuality... That when images go into our head, sometimes it's the small triggers that allow us to pull up images that we are even trying not to see. God made your brain very, very detailed. And that is a blessing. But in some areas, if you have not set your mind to not be defiled, it can be a very difficult thing to overcome. That's why you've heard that an idle brain is a devil's playground. This evening, though, I want you to know this, that in our study there is hope. How do we escape? How do we escape? Four things real quick, and then the lesson is yours. And I do mean quick, not preacher quick, Joe, you know, real quick tonight. The idea behind the how am I going to escape, I want you to know this. First and foremost, God created you with a soul. And until you value your soul more than you value your flesh, you're going to struggle. But if you want to be able to come out of this addiction, if you're the one tonight that has a casual addiction or a serious addiction, if you're the one that kind of plays with pornography or you're the one who's steeped in it pretty deep, in order to come out of that, you have got to value one thing above another. And I want to tell you this tonight, that one day your flesh... Not only will it change in appearance and change in its usage, you will die one day. But your soul will not die in a sense of you will either spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. You must value your soul above whatever's going on in this physical life. Matthew chapter 5 Verses 27 through 30 would say it this way. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out, throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. The idea behind that is not Jesus teaching self-mutilation. Self-mutilation was against the will of God as well. But what he's driving home is a point of this. Look, even if you had to cut off a part of your body because it was going to cause you to go into hell, you're better off to lose that part of your body than to go to hell with all parts of your body. That tells me the serious aspect of what this heaven or hell thing is. That tells me until I value going to heaven more than I value whatever physical fulfillment I have here in this life, then I'm going to struggle. But if I want to start getting out of this, then I've got to start valuing my soul. Number two, you've got to recognize, and this needs to be said, God is the great creator of sexual pleasure. I know that we're scared to say that with our kids and our grandkids, but look, Here's the truth. This is a gift from God. In Genesis chapter 2, He created man, He created woman, and the two of them were to come together, they were to be one flesh, and they were to produce offspring. God created us in perfect opposites from a humanity standpoint of male and female. That's God's design, and it wasn't just for the purpose of having children, because there are some individuals who cannot, and even throughout the text of the Bible, it wasn't this idea, if you just can't withhold from having children, make sure you have a wife, take a wife. There's no idea behind that. The idea was, look, this is a part of who you are. God made you a sexual being. 
And what's beautiful about that is this. He created your perfect counterpart for you to be able to enjoy that. But it's within the boundaries that he sets. You see, one of the things that Satan does, Satan doesn't create anything. You ever think about that? Satan is not God. He does not have the same power as God. Therefore, he doesn't create. But Satan knows how to take what God has created and twist and distort. In the Garden of Eden, a serpent approached Eve. Eve had the knowledge of what fruit she could eat and the knowledge of what fruit she couldn't eat. And when Satan asked, has God not allowed you to eat any of the fruit? Eve spoke up and said, no, we can eat of any of the fruit of the garden, just not that fruit. Because in the day that we eat of it, we will surely die. To which the serpent said, you will not surely die. God just knows, and this is my part, God's a big bad God. And he knows in the day you eat of it, you'll become like him knowing good and evil. And he just wants to keep you oppressed. Now, Satan didn't create the rule. Satan didn't create the fruit. But he twists and he distorts. And that's exactly what he does in the area of sexuality. Number three, if you're going to escape, not only do you need to value your soul, not only do you need to recognize God's the great creator of sexual pleasure, you need to learn to detect and guard against triggers in your life. You see, triggers are a part of all of our lives. We have triggers that happen. Sometimes triggers don't show themselves in the area of sexuality. Sometimes they show themselves in the area of food. Have you ever had a bad day at work or maybe had a, uh, just feeling bad? Life was, life was pretty rotten, but never fear. A half gallon of ice cream can always take care of your problems. You ever had that happen before? Maybe it's not a half gallon of ice cream for you. Maybe it's a new pair of shoes. Nothing like a new pair of shoes to make you feel better. You see, the reality is this. We all have triggers. And those who are wrapped up in this particular area, this particular addiction, they have triggers as well. Sometimes it's a fight with the spouse. Sometimes it's a boss who didn't appreciate them. Sometimes it's an interaction with a father who you felt never accepted you. Sometimes it's at school the young man is made to feel like he's less of a man and so he can go to a place that that woman always thinks that as a 16-year-old he's a man. you got to learn to look at the triggers. Now in that though, I need you to see this. You need to not allow yourself to be in an area with those triggers that you should not be in. If it's going to the restroom and taking your cell phone with you, don't take your cell phone with you. If it's staying up later than your spouse to get on the computer, don't stay up later than your spouse. And if you do stay up later than your spouse, don't get on the computer. All of those are triggers. This is, this is, an, this is, a, this is a practical counseling concept. But I want you to see that it is founded in biblical principle. Proverbs chapter 7 is an interesting concept when it comes to triggers. The Bible says this, and this is about a young man who walks down a dark alley toward the direction of a prostitute. And all the while, there's an older, wiser man who's looking on to seeing how naive and foolish this young man is. But I want you to notice this interaction. Proverbs chapter 7, verse 1 and following. My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments alive and my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablets of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call understanding your intimate friend that they may keep you from an adulteress. From the foreigner who flatters with her words. For at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice. And I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths a young man... Lacking sense. Passing through the street near her corner, he takes the way to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, and in the darkness. And behold, a woman comes out to meet him. Dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets, now in the squares, and lurks by every corner. So she seizes him and kisses him. 
And with a brazen face, she says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings. Today I have paid my vows. Therefore, I have come out to meet you to seek your presence earnestly. And I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings with colored linens of Egypt. I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him at the full moon. He will come home. And with her many persuasions, she entices him with her flattering lips. She seduces him. In all of this, you find an older man to a younger man saying, Please be wise. Please let my teachings be ever about you. Please let wisdom be ever in your company. Because I've seen an individual that had no sense. And here's what was no sense. It was at twilight. It was in the evening. Did you notice how the Bible describes that? When everybody else is sleeping, oftentimes the Bible says that's when, that's when sin is more prevalent. Because nobody's watching. You think you get away with it. He knew where she was at. He knew what was at the end of that dark street. And he kept walking. He had every opportunity to turn around... He had every opportunity to walk past. He had every opportunity to say no. But eventually he got close enough and she didn't just stay in the house or at the corner. She came out and started to bring him in. If you think for one minute you can play with this stuff, you are the young man who is lacking sense. Because you get close enough down that alley and it will draw you in. You've got to learn to detect your triggers. And last but not least, you see this on the screen before you. It's not enough just to stop. You see, some people say, well, I I don't have that problem. Or maybe I was having that problem some time ago, but I just stopped on my own. And if that's you, you stopped on your own, great. But I need to tell you something. Rarely does anybody ever stop on their own. You may be on pause, but rarely does anybody stop on their own. And that's because just stopping is not enough. Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 and following, gives us the indication that it's okay to clean the demon out of the house. But if you don't put something back in the house, then the demon comes back and brings his buddies with him. The Bible says this, verse 43 of Matthew chapter 12, Now when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept and put in order. And otherwise, they got rid of the bad and they cleaned up their life. But the problem is they didn't put anything in their life. They just got rid of the bad. That's why I tell you, it's not enough just to stop. The Bible says, verse 45, then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there, and the last state of the man becomes worse than the first. The simple concept to, to escaping, it really is this idea that I've got to value my soul. I've got to value my soul more than I value whatever happens in this flesh, whatever fulfillment I think I have. It's okay for me to recognize God has blessed us with this gift, But He's blessed us with this gift within His boundaries. We need to understand our triggers. Don't walk down the alley. She's waiting for you. And you also have to understand it's not enough just to quit. You've got to fill your house with good things. That may be you develop a Bible study habits. I would encourage you, if you know there's a set time of the day that maybe you've been struggling with that, start doing something else at that time of the day. Have special prayer time. Have special Bible reading time. Get on the phone with your mentor. Some of us probably don't even have mentors. Let's just be real. We are our own mentor. Maybe we've stopped listening to other people. I don't know. The truth is, though, you need help because people don't just get out of this on their own. I uh, Back there on the table, I have something that I want you to look at. Kyle Publications just became an affiliate partner with Covenant Eyes, the thing I told you about earlier. And on the back of the table back there, there are some flyers. I want you to take these. I've got more at home. I want you to do some research on this. And it may not be for you, 
It may be for someone else that needs that flyer. They need to understand what it is to filter this garbage out. I will tell you this, on our devices we have covenant eyes. Covenant eyes can be set to to filter out these internet sites. They operate on what's called a VPN. Therefore, whatever app my children look at, it also filters those. It can even take screenshots of what they're looking at and send to me as their parents. So if it maybe doesn't get flagged or maybe it will get flagged because of a problem, then the screenshot comes to me and I can go sit down and talk with my sons or talk to my daughter. You see, it's about setting up barriers and boundaries. And you say, well, Joe, I just want to trust my kids. I do too. But I'm not going to be so naive to think that Satan can't work in this area in my family. A lot of my research on this area has come from personal interviews with people. I won't read this. If you're interested in seeing this after the fact, you can by all means read it. Two individuals that I rely very heavily on. These are both brothers in Christ. One's in Florida, one's in Oklahoma. One spent a very long time in the federal penitentiary because of pornography. Another individual was arrested for solicitation because his pornographic addiction turned to soliciting a prostitute. There are quotes that they've given me over the years in personal interviews about the things that they would encounter are very, very telling. And at the core of what they tell me is this. Secrecy is the enemy to recovery in this area. You keep it secret. That's why people do this. And that's why people do what they know they shouldn't do. It's because they believe they can keep it secret. Both of those guys thought they could keep it secret. Until finally it finds you out. Isn't that what sin does? Sin finds us out. And isn't it true that confession is good, not just good for the soul. Confession is good when it comes to recovery from sin. You see, the Bible was already saying these things before we ever started talking about the internet. And that's because you get, get it out on the table. The individual who went to jail, who went to the federal penitentiary, he said he was glad he got caught. Because he'd been struggling with that for over 30 years. And he said when it finally came out, he had nothing else to hide. He was so afraid of disappointing his wife and his children. But when it came out... He knew that he was already going to disappoint him, but now he had nothing to hide. It's interesting how a man can say that who was facing some time in in jail. I don't know if this hits you tonight. I was telling somebody earlier that, that I have spoken on various subjects, and this particular one is one that usually does not get people to come down front. And because think about that, we're afraid of what everybody's going to think about us. I mean, we're, we're, we're very afraid of our brothers and sisters being judgmental about us. Maybe not here, but in some congregations. And so can you imagine if a man has a problem with pornography and then an invitation is offered and he, he comes down front and he's simply asking for prayers because he had a bad day at the office, but other people don't know he's had a bad day at the office. All they know is the sermon was on pornography and he came down front. So therefore, what do you think people start thinking? Well, he must have a problem with pornography. No, he came down to ask for prayers of the church. That's why I tell you, at this lesson, usually people don't respond. Not publicly. However, sometimes people are broken. Sometimes people are are tired of hiding. Sometimes people are ready to break free from the bondage that they've gotten themselves wrapped up into. The good news tonight is this. The blood of Jesus can forgive you of your sins. People can, with help, they can learn to forgive. You can learn to forgive yourself. Relationships don't have to fall apart. But I guarantee you it all depends upon how serious you are about dealing with the things in your life. Tonight, I don't know if this lesson touches you in a manner where you need to respond publicly. But I pray if you're the one who at night, after your spouse or your parents have gone to bed... You're the one who has taken the phone into a private area. I pray if nothing else, you walk away and you say, Man, that big bald-headed guy, he talked about this and how Satan will use this to 
change my brain and how it will create falsehoods and that I won't enjoy the real thing as much. And I'm separated from God because of this, but there's hope in a way back. I don't need this, but I need help. And if that's you, I want to be a resource to you if you'll let me. I want to be able to talk to you if you need that. Not that I have all the answers, but I may have something to offer you that may help. Tonight, the invitation is yours. It's different, I know. But this subject needs to be talked about even in the Lord's church. So tonight, if it's this subject or maybe another subject that has separated you from God, please do not leave here tonight without being in a right relationship with Him. Confess your sins. Come back with a repentant heart, a broken and a contrite spirit, is the way David would say it. And He will receive you again. Tonight, if you've never obeyed the gospel, it would be a beautiful night for you to do so. Would you confess Jesus as Lord, repent of your sins, and be baptized for the remission of your sins? Tonight, you can leave here different than when you came. But the choice really is yours.